Welcome to the Old Time Radio Hour on Sid Valley Radio. This is Sid Valley Radio. This week on the Old Time Radio Hour, we'll be listening to a half-hour crime show, followed by 30 minutes of sci-fi. So, just sit back and relax. As we revisit the truly golden age of radio. It's time now for Mr. Keene, Tracer of Lost Persons. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Keene, Tracer of Lost Persons. One of the most famous characters of American fiction in one of radio's most thrilling dramas. Tonight and every Thursday at the same time, the famous old investigator takes from his file and brings to us one of his most celebrated missing persons cases. Tonight's case is entitled, The Forgotten Cave Murder Case. Our scene opens in the dark, damp recesses of a cave, located deep in an oceanside cliff on Long Island. Two men, both with small electric flashlights, are clambering over the slippery rocks, going deeper inside the tomb-like cave. Take it easy, Jim. These rocks are covered with slime. Yeah, let's have another look at that map, Ed. Well, we can't be far from what we're after. Look, Jim. The cave breaks into two passages right ahead of us. And the map doesn't say which one to take. Well, maybe they come together again, farther up. I tell you what, Ed... I'll take the left passage and you take the right. No, listen, Jim. Let's get out of here. I'm afraid. Oh, forget it. We may be a hundred yards away from a million dollars. And I'm saying it through. I'm going into this part of the cave on the left. Jim. Jim. I'm going back. I'm not staying in this cave another half. Jim. Jim. Jim, what happened? Did you fall? There's a knife in his back. He's dead. I must see Mr. Keene right away. Right away. Oh, take it easy, young fella. What's got you so excited? I'm Mike Clancy, Mr. Keene's partner. Please let me see Mr. Keene immediately. Either I'm mad or there's been a murder. Saints preserve us. A murder. I uh, overheard what this young man said, Mike. Come in, will you? Let's hear about it. My name is Ed Johnson, Mr. Keene. And I'll never rest until I find who murdered my friend Jim Ramsey. And got away with his body besides. Got away with his body, Mr. Johnson? Uh Well, that sounds strange. Are you sure your friend was murdered? Mr. Keene, the local police thought I was a crank. They wouldn't believe my story. That's why I came here. Mr. Johnson, I suggest you sit down quietly and tell me just what happened. We were in a cave when Jim was murdered. In a cave? What were you doing there? Looking for hidden gold, Mr. Keene. Maybe pirates. (laughs) That sounds like one of the fairy stories I heard at my mother's knee. Pirates' gold. Let him proceed, Mike. Go ahead, Mr. Johnson. I realize it all sounds crazy, Mr. Keene, but it's true. I've known Jim Ramsey for over a year now. We were in the clam and oyster business on the Long Island coast. We bought a tract of land for our business. I see. On a deserted part of our land, near the coast, there was an old abandoned house. The place was falling apart, 
But I've always been pretty handy with tools, and Jim was too. So you decided to repair the house and live in it together near your work, That's eh? right, Mr. Keene. And how did you get this idea of pirate's gold in a cave, Mr. Johnson? We were repairing the chimney, Mr. Mr. Clancy, and we found a map under some bricks. <laughs> a pirate's map and a chimney in an old house on Long Island. Well, it still sounds like a, like a fairy story to me. Mr. Johnson, I'm afraid Mike doesn't believe in buried treasure. But the map led us to an old forgotten cave. The cave was near the house, about 30 feet underground. That's where Jim Ramsey was murdered and disappeared. Hmm. I guess you don't believe me either. But Jim's death was real. He was murdered. A knife in his back. I saw his body. Well, after the local police left, Mr. Johnson, did you return to the cave to look for your friend's body? I didn't have the map anymore. It was in Jim's pocket when his body disappeared. Besides, I was afraid I'd be murdered like Jim was. Mr. Keene, you're known as one of the cleverest investigators in the country. Someone's been murdered, and something must be done about it. Well, I'm honest to say this whole thing sounds fantastic, Mr. Johnson, but I'll look into it. You mean you'll help me? I'll do what I can. When can you come to Long Island? Sometime this afternoon. All right, there's a train at 1. You'll get to Shellview at 3.30. I'll meet you at the station. Very well. Goodbye, Mr. Keene. Mr. Clancy... And thanks again. Goodbye, Mr. Johnson. So long. Sure, and you're not going to waste your time on a yarn like that, Mr. Keene. I'm almost as suspicious of it as you are, Mike, and yet I'm curious, too. But even the local police think this fellow Johnson's a little off balance. Still, why would he come here to ask my help? There certainly is a cave. The police were there. Well, boss, do you think that he and his partner may have fallen in with some dope smugglers or something like that? You mean a gang who'd be using that cave to hide their loot? Sure. Well, it's possible. Mike, I see you're becoming just as curious as I am. Well, there's only one thing to do about it. We're going out to that old house in Long Island and that secret cave and see for ourselves. Johnson said he'd meet us at the station, but uh, I don't see him, Mike. Well, I know it, Mr. Keene. He's got us way down here in Long Island on a wild goose chase. Uh, you gents looking for a taxi? I got one right over here. Hire him Webb, gents, at your service. Oh, uh, do you happen to know where the Johnson house is? Uh, you mean that old busted-down hen coop those two fellas lived in? Sure, I can take you there. Come along, Mike. Okay, Mr. Keene. Uh, Mr. Keene, the great investigator. Well... I guess you're here to look into that disappearing body business. You know anything about it, Hiram? I mean, how Jim Ramsey disappeared so mysteriously? Uh, maybe I do. Maybe I don't. One thing I do know, though, this section of the country, I know it backwards and forwards. And maybe I can help you out. Well, thanks, Hiram. Uh, step into the taxi, gents. She ain't very fancy, but she'll get us there. Excuse me. Is this a public taxi? Sure is, ma'am, but she's taken now. Oh, please. I, I'm sure these gentlemen won't mind. This is very urgent. I've got to get up to the Ramsey house immediately. The Ramsey house? Maybe it's known as the Johnson house. It's an old place my husband bought with Ed Johnson. Oh, you're Jim Ramsey's wife? Yes. Margaret Ramsey. Do you know my husband? No, my name is Keene. My partner and I are on our way to that house ourselves. Mr. Keene... According to Johnson, wasn't this lady's husband the one who was murdered in that cave? <gasps> murdered? Jim, I... No. No, I don't believe it. I'm sorry, Mrs. Ramsey. 
but it hasn't definitely been established. All we know so far is that your husband's body has disappeared. I guess you won't object now if I go in the taxi with you, Mr. Keith. Why, of course not. All right, Hiram, let's head directly for that old house. My husband, Jim, left me almost a year ago, Mr. Keene, and I only found out where he was during the past two weeks. We had a bitter quarrel. About what, Mrs. Ramsey? Another woman. She was very beautiful and artist, and she'd fallen in love with Jim. But we'd been through so much, I felt it was the final straw. How do you mean you'd been through so much? Jim was a dreamer and something of a mystery, even to me. I never heard him mention a word about his family. Oh, I see. He always believed he'd be able to find the, the gold at the end of the rainbow. Every time he came home with a new and sillier scheme to make money, my patience wore thin. Then his relationship with Ann Wharton finished me. And Ann Wharton was the artist who was in love with him? Yes, Mr. Keene. Now you tell me that Jim may be dead, that he was murdered. We're not absolutely sure, Mrs. Ramsey. Oh, saints preservers. Don't jam your brakes on like that, mister. This taxi will fall right apart. Uh, that feller's half blocking the road. Looks as if his car's bust down. Sorry if I'm in your way. I broke an axle on my car a few minutes ago. You know, if there's a phone nearby, I'd like to call for a tow car. Uh, no telephones in these parts, mister. We're 11 miles from town. Yeah, I know that. I'm going to drop these folks off up the road a bit. If you want to come along, I'll take you to town on my way back. Well, if these gentlemen and this lady don't mind... Not at all. Get right in the taxi. Thanks a lot. My name's Bly, Sanford Bly. Mine is Keith. This is Mrs. Ramsey. How do you do? And my partner, Mr. Clancy. Hello. Glad to know you. Did you say Keene, sir? Yes. The well-known investigator? Well, I'm a salesman myself, Mr. Keene. Wristwatches. Long Island's my territory. Uh, there's the Johnson house now, Mr. Keene, up ahead of us. Mm, sure, and the place looks as if it's ready to fall apart. I wonder where the cave is. The cave? What cave, Mr. Keene? Well, there's supposed to be a secret cave nearby, Mr. Bly. I was inside that cave a long time ago. It's underneath the house. Uh, we can stop right here, I reckon. Uh, what do I owe you, Hiram? Three fifty. Mr. Keene. What is it, Mrs. Ramsey? Look, there's a woman on the ledge near the edge of the cliff. Yes, I see her. She seems to be painting something on an easel. It's Anne Wharton. My husband Jim's been seeing her, and I was right. Oh, now, don't jump to conclusions, Mrs. Ramsey. I suggest we have a talk with Miss Wharton first. Uh, Hiram. Yes, Mr. Keene? Would you mind waiting here with your taxi for a few minutes? Sure, I'll stay. Mr. Bly, would you mind if we delayed you? Not at all. I'll wait in the taxi. Well, come along, Mike. We'll go over there with Mrs. Ramsey and have a talk with Ann Wharton. Okay, boss. You can... Hear the surf now, Mike. Well, that cliff must overlook the sea. This place looks like a desert, boss. Nothing here but sand dunes, rocks, and that broken-down old house. Why my husband came here to such a deserted place, I'll never understand. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Are you looking for... Oh, Mrs. Ramsey. Yes, I'm Mrs. Ramsey. May I ask what you're doing here, Miss Wharton? I'm painting a picture. 
The view is beautiful from this cliff. How far down is the sea? I'd like to take a look. May I ask where Mr. Johnson is, Miss Wharton? Mr. Johnson? Well, who is he? I don't know him. He's my husband's partner. And I'd like to know where my husband Jim is, too. I had no idea he was anywhere in the vicinity, Mrs. Ramsey. I don't believe you. Mr. King, boss, come here, quick. What is it, Mike? Look down below, Mr. King. Saints preserve us, it's a man's body floating there in the water. A man's body, did you say? Boss, look at his face. You see who that fella is? He's the one who came to our office. Yes, Mike. It's Ed Johnson, Jim Ramsey's friend. And even from this distance, it's easy to tell that the man is dead. In just a moment, we'll return to Mr. Keene and the Forgotten Cave murder case. Meanwhile... This is the Old Time Radio Hour on Sid Valley Radio. Now back to Mr. Keene and the Forgotten Cave murder case. Mr. Keene, the famous investigator, and his partner, Mike Clancy, are investigating a situation that seems to grow more dangerous and mysterious with every passing hour. First, a man named Edward Johnson came to Mr. Keene and said his business associate and friend, Jim Ramsey, had been murdered in an all-forgotten cave on Long Island, and the body had disappeared. Now, when Mr. Keene and Mike appear at the scene of the crime, they find that Johnson himself has suffered his partner's fate, and his body pushed off a cliff into the sea. A few minutes later, Mike has succeeded in recovering the body, and as he and Mr. Keene examine it on the beach at the foot of the cliff... You were stabbed, Mr. Keene. There's a knife between his shoulder blades. Yes, Mike. Ed Johnson was stabbed and pushed into the sea. We'd better send word to the police in town. Well, we'll tell that hillbilly Hiram Webb to drive back in his taxi. Oh, here's Sanford Bly, the salesman we picked up on the road. What's the trouble, Mr. Keene? I... Holy smoke! Is he dead? Yes, Mr. Bly, he was murdered. Wait a minute. I've seen that man before. You have? Where? On the road, Mr. Keene, about a half an hour ago. Just before my car broke down, I passed a man and a woman walking along the side of the highway. And Johnson here was the man? Yes, sir. Look up there in the cliff, Mr. Bly. Mrs. Ramsey is standing near the edge with another woman, a Miss Wharton. Why, that's the woman who was walking with Johnson on the road. Are you sure? Positive. She was wearing a beret like an artist. I guess you and your partner, Mr. Clancy, here want to report this murder immediately. Yes. But right now, I intend to have a talk with Ann Wharton. Here's Miss Wharton, boss, and Mrs. Ramsey. What happened to that man who was floating in the sea, Mr. Keene? It was Mr. Johnson. He was dead, Miss Wharton. He was evidently murdered by the same person who killed Jim Ramsey. You mean Jim is dead, too? Yes. But up to now, his body hasn't been discovered. I... I never knew. I never dreamed. Didn't you? Then what were you doing here? You didn't come to paint a picture. Miss Wharton... Just why did you come here to this old house, if not to see Jim Ramsey? All right. I'll admit it now, Mr. Keene. I did come to see Mrs. Ramsey's husband. I hoped I could make up with him. What do you mean, make up with him? I'm afraid I made a mistake about Jim. I thought he'd left his wife for good when I fell in love with him. Later, when he broke off our relationship, I realized I was wrong. It was his wife he loved. 
Not me. Then why did you follow him here? I wanted to help him make up with you, Mrs. Ramsey. I don't believe her, Mr. Keene. It's true. Miss Wharton, you said before that you didn't know Jim's partner, Mr. Johnson. But Mr. Bly told me that he saw you walking along the road with him. That's right. He was the man whose body you just found. But I didn't lie to you, Mr. Keene. I only asked him the way to the ocean. I didn't know that man's name was Johnson. Oh, Miss Wharton, I suggest that you and Mrs. Ramsey wait inside the house. Mr. Keene, you mean you're holding me on suspicion of murder? I'm holding you as well as everyone else until this murder case is solved. I'm sorry if I implicated Miss Warden, Mr. Keene. I didn't mean to make a suspicious character out of her. For that matter, I suppose I fall into that category myself. Why, Mr. Bly? Well, after all, my car broke down just a short distance from here, and I was near the scene of the crime. But only a homicidal maniac would murder for no reason, and you don't appear to be a maniac. Oh, by the way, do you have the correct time? The police will want to know exactly when we found Johnson's body. Why, uh... It's five minutes to five, Mr. Keene. Ah. Boss, there's the taxi, but where's the hillbilly taxi driver? Oh, here he comes now. Well, Mr. Keene, guess I may as well start back to town. Where have you been, Hiram? Just looking around a bit. We just discovered the body of a murdered man. What? I want you to report it to the town police immediately. Oh, I'll get back to town in my taxi as fast as I... Mr. Keene! What is it? Come over here and look at this. What's the trouble? My tires. All four of them are flat. The car is useless. Four flat tires isn't exactly a coincidence. I'll say it ain't. Someone must have punched holes in them. Who's going into town to tell the police, Mr. Keene? May I make a suggestion? What is it, Mr. Bly? Well, my car's broken down, too, but I have four good tires. My car's the same make as Hiram's, only much newer, of course. Now, if you wanted to take the trouble to switch tires, it might solve the problem. That's not a bad idea, Mr. Keene. Well, we can try it anyway, Mike. Well, between Hiram, Mr. Bly, and myself, why, we can do the job in an hour. All right. Meanwhile, I'm going to take a look at that forgotten cave. Uh, the entrance is just below the cliff over there on the right, Mr. Keene, near the old house. Well, Mike, uh, perhaps you can switch those car tires yourself with only Mr. Bly's help. Oh, I think we can manage it, boss. What about me? You seem to know your way around here quite well, Hiram. I'd like you to guide me to the Forgotten Cave, to the place where Jim Ramsey's body was last seen. Well, here's the spot, Mr. Keene. At least this is as far as the police went. And how far into this cave did you go, Hiram? Well, no further than this. I don't mean on the day Ramsey's body disappeared. I mean half an hour ago. What? When you left your taxi a little while ago, you came to this cave again. How do you know that, Mr. Keene? I noticed there was slime on one of your hands. And it came from these damp walls. I wasn't trying to put something over on you, Mr. Keene. I swear I wasn't. Then what were you doing in this cave? I, I was just snooping around. You found something, though. I can tell by your manner that you're hiding very important facts from me. Mr. Keene, I, I found the body. Jim Ramsey's body. Where? Come over here, Mr. Keene. 
See for yourself. <laughs> Bend down and reach behind this flat rock. All right. Do you feel anything? Yes. The body of a man. It's undoubtedly Jim Ramsey. There's a small tunnel in there. But nobody would have found it except me. I don't see how you found it either, Hiram. Uh, I used to play in this cave years ago when I was a little shaver, Mr. Keene. I know every nook and cranny in the place. Just a minute. I can feel something in Jim Ramsey's pocket. There it is. Well, I'll be darned. Well, this is the so-called treasure map, Hiram. Do you know anything about it? No, Mr. Keene. I've been telling you the truth. I had nothing to do with them murders. Well, Hiram, I'm going to give you a chance to put yourself completely in the clear. Now, if you follow my directions carefully, you'll prove your innocence. I'll do anything you want me to do, Mr. Keene. Then go back to my partner, Mike Clancy, and give him this message. And make certain no one else is present when you do. And if things develop as I think they will, our killer may discover it's not so easy to get away with murder. Mike, is that you? Right, boss. Where are you, Mr. Keene? Over here, behind the ledge. Oh, thanks, preservers. This cave gives me the creep, boss. Uh, did you follow my instructions, Mike? Yes, sir. I went back to the house with Mr. Bly, and I told the two women you had found Jim Ramsey's body here in the cave, yeah. and that you and I were going to town to report to the police. Then I started the taxi and drove it out of sight. And circled back here to the cave on foot. Did you search that car? Yes, Mr. Keene. What did you find? Nothing at all. Well, you may not know it, Mike, but you found a great deal. Let me see. It must be at least 20 minutes since you left them in the house. We ought to have a visitor inside this cave within... Boss, someone's coming. Yes. Our murderer, Mike. Hold your gun and your flashlight ready. Right, sir. Flash your light, Mike. What? Don't move, Mr. Bly. If you do, Mike Clancy will shoot to kill. Keen. Put this man under arrest, Mike, for the murder of Jim Ramsey and Edward Johnson. You're crazy, Keen. I never even knew Edward Johnson. You murdered Edward Johnson because he evidently ran into a clue that would have sent you to the electric chair for Jim Ramsey's death. That's a lie. You proved your guilt, Bly, by coming to this cave just now. Jim's body was hidden behind that rock where we caught you stooping. Only one other man knew that body was there, Hiram Wade. Then why don't you accuse him? Because the man who killed Ramsey wanted his body hidden forever. That was an important part of the plan. You came back to hide Ramsey's body in some other place, knowing we'd found it. And what was my motive, Keene? You can't just pick up a watch salesman and accuse him of murder. You're no watch salesman, Bly. You claim your line is wristwatches. And yet, when I asked you for the time... I saw that you carried a pocket watch. Not a very good advertisement for a man in your trade. Besides, I searched your car, mister. Since when does a salesman travel without samples? You were also clever about puncturing the tires of Hiram's taxi. At first, you thought it might prevent us from getting word to the police. Then you decided it would be smarter to lend us the tires from your car, just to make you appear more innocent. You still don't have a murder motive, Keene. Go, go through his clothes for identification, Mike. 
I have a feeling his name isn't Bly. No, don't you touch oh, me. take it easy, mister. Or maybe we get, get tough, tough with you. Here. This is wallet, boss. Mm. Oh, Bly, is it? Mr. Keene, his name is Ramsey. Sanford Ramsey. It's on this car registration. So you're related to Jim Ramsey. Look, I'll make a deal with you, Keene. In six months, I'll come into $3 million. Let me go free and we'll split 50-50. $3 million, eh? Whose money are you inheriting? My uncle's. It was left to Jim, but it goes to me if Jim dies. Jim left California six years ago and disappeared. But I finally caught up with him and decided to play this my own way. Now I understand why you wanted Jim's body to be missing. Jim Ramsey was gone for six long years. And one more would have made it seven. A man is declared legally dead after seven years. And you'd have inherited the money. The way I planned it, Keene, no one will be the wiser. I knew about this old house and the cave. Then I put the map in the fireplace, knowing Jim would fall for it. Thinking he could find hidden gold, search the place. I made that map myself, Keene. And you've also made a case for the state that's foolproof. You mean you won't play along with me? Of course I will. As far as a prison cell and a judge and jury... Why, you... Put the handcuffs on him, Mike. Mr. Sanford Ramsey, or Bly if he prefers, is going on trial for murder in the first degree. And so Mr. Keene finds a solution to the forgotten cave murder case. Mr. Keene, Tracer of Lost Persons, is based on the novel Mr. Keene. The radio sequel is originated and produced by Frank and Dan Hummer. Dialogue by Lawrence Clee. Bennett Kilpack plays Mr. Keene. It is on the air every Thursday at this time. Don't miss Mr. Keene next Thursday when the kindly old Tracer turns to the engaged girl murder case.
This is the Old Time Radio Hour, on Sid Valley Radio. Tales of Tomorrow Tales beyond human imagination Until they happen Tales of Tomorrow Story number four The Other Now by Mary Leinster. This is your host, Omentor, saying hello. Look at your watch, but don't take it too seriously. If it's a few seconds after 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, in California, it's three hours earlier. In London... It's 2 o'clock tomorrow morning. And in Japan, it's almost tomorrow afternoon. What time is it right now on the planet Saturn? A silly question? I wonder. The point is, time is a clock with many faces. Your time is not necessarily anyone else's. And what we think of as the present is only relative. Let's prove that thesis with a remarkable tale from Galaxy, the science fiction magazine, a most timely story titled, The Other Now. My name is Hal Haynes. I was Jimmy Patterson's best friend, which is why he dared tell me the story you are about to hear. I'm speaking into a recording machine, the tape to be played back only after my death, for reasons that'll become obvious as you listen. First, you've got to understand that Jimmy and Jane Patterson loved each other like no two other people I ever met. That's important to the story. It all began about a year after their marriage. They'd been to a party at my apartment and started home about two in the morning. Darling. Hmm? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> well, what's so funny? <laughs> you. The way you always stick out your jaw when you're behind the wheel. It's kind of cute. Now, I resent that. A man is attractive, handsome, virile, compelling, but never cute. <laughs> Darling, you're all those things. And cute. Jimmy. That truck in front of us, what's that long pole sticking out behind it? It looks like a steel girder. Yeah, that's what it is. Oh. See the red flag? Pass that truck, please. What's the matter, huh? I don't like driving behind that thing. It makes me nervous. All right, here we go. Jane, brace yourself. What? The truck's stopping short. Air brakes. I know I can't stop. Jimmy phoned me from the hospital. When I got there, the doctors told me about Jane. Death had been mercifully swift. Jimmy was sitting on a bench in one of the corridors, his face buried in his hand. Jimmy. Jim, it's me. Did they tell you? 
Yeah. What can I say? Oh, hell, she's gone. She's gone. I know. It happens so fast. A freak accident doesn't make sense. I know. Listen, anything I can do... One minute she was beside me alive, and the next minute... Hell, why did it have to happen this way? Why couldn't it have been me? The next three months were bad. At first, I feared Jimmy might do something desperate. But soon the torture of being alive while Jane was dead slacked up until, from an intolerable agony, became a dull, ever-present ache. The worst moment was coming home from work to the empty apartment. So Jimmy arranged always to have the cleaning woman there. It was better than nothing. On the night the thing really began, Jimmy came home from work with the usual hopeless ache in his heart. Putting the key in the lock, he thought, if only Jane were there to meet him. If only by some miracle. There were no miracles. He knew that. He unlocked the front door, opened it, began to walk in, and crashed against the door. It was closed. He just opened it, but it was closed. Jimmy's first impression was that his brain was playing tricks on him. Had he really opened that door? It seemed to him that he had, but in his confused state of mind, he couldn't be absolutely sure. He unlocked the door again, or was it again? Opened it, and walked into the apartment. The cleaning woman, Mrs. Mooney, was in the living room. Hello, Mrs. Mooney. Oh, Mr. Patterson. How do you feel today, sir? Fine, thanks. You didn't sleep again last night, sir? Of course I did. When I came in this afternoon, the bed was still made up, just as I'd left it yesterday. I fell asleep in the armchair. Please stop checking on me, Mrs. Mooney. I don't want you to think of it that way, Mr. Patterson. But you haven't been yourself since the Mrs... Well, what I mean is, I'm worried about you. There's nothing to worry about. Anyone phone while you've been here? Mr. Haynes called. What did he want? Said he hadn't heard from you for a couple of days... Want you to call him back, sir. Thanks, I'll do that. Anything else? Yes. I, I found this carton of cigarettes in the Mrs. desk. Those are James. Yes, sir. Must have overlooked them when I cleaned out the desk. What should I... Throw them out. Oh, no. No, just a second. Put them back in the desk. All right, sir. Before you do that, Mrs. Mooney's there's uh, something I uh, want to ask you. Did you hear me come in just now? Yes, sir. Well, did you notice if I opened the front door once or, or twice? Why would you open the door twice, sir? I don't know if I did. That's what I'm trying to find out. Did you hear the door open twice? I really couldn't say, Mr. Patterson. Oh, think back. Try to remember. Well, you did open it twice, sir. Are you sure? I think so, but... Well, maybe I just imagined it. You don't look so good, Mr. Patterson. You ought to take a nap before dinner. I'm all right. No, you aren't. I think... Please, you... Mrs. Mooney, stop fussing over me. Just leave me alone. Jimmy took sleeping pills that night. When he finally drifted off, he dreamed of doors that were open when they should have been shut, and shut when they should have been opened. During work the next day, the peculiar incident of the night before was the back of his mind. When he came home that night, he opened the door carefully, wondering if it would be repeated. It wasn't. 
He hung up his coat and sat down in the armchair. Wearily, he filled his pipe and struck a match to it. As he dropped the stub of the match into the ashtray... What's this? Cigarette stubs. Jane's brand. Freshly smoked. Mrs. Mooney! Mrs. Mooney! You want me, sir? I certainly do. Mrs. Mooney, who gave you permission to smoke my wife's cigarettes? What's that, sir? What right did you to smoke my wife's cigarettes? But I... I didn't do anything of the sort, Mr. Patterson. I don't know what you're talking about. Well, right here in this ashtray are half a dozen of her... They're gone. Gone? Cigarette butts, they were in this ashtray a minute ago. Now they've disappeared. Couldn't have been nothing in that tray, sir. I emptied all the ashtrays when I came in. But I saw them. Or did I? What's the matter with me? Or is it me? Was he losing his grip? In a grim sort of way, the thought made Jimmy feel almost cheerful. During the day, work was a godsend. Sometimes he was able to thrust aside for hours the fact that Jane was gone. Now, in the same way, he grappled with the question of his sanity. When Mrs. Mooney left for the evening, he went to the desk where Jane had kept her household accounts. He'd set the whole thing down on paper, examined it methodically, checking all the facts. He was about to do so when he noticed Jane's diary on top of the desk. For a moment, his mind stopped, his brain reeled. Jane's diary, what's it doing here? I thought I'd locked it in the trunk. I know I put it in the trunk. He sat there, staring at the diary. It couldn't be on the desk. He'd locked it in the trunk, but there it was. With trembling fingers, he thumbed through the pages until he reached the last entry. September 26th. September 26th, today's date. But that's impossible. How could this have been written today? Jane's dead. And yet, that's her handwriting. Feeling like a sleepwalker in a nightmare, he began to read the entry. As he scanned the lines, it was as though Jane's voice was in the room. This morning, I went to the cemetery. It's very bad. Three months since the accident. Time doesn't make it any easier to bear. Oh, Jimmy. Jimmy, I miss you so much. Jane? I'm developing a personal hatred for chance. Chance, luck, whatever it is, it's not an abstraction anymore. It was chance that killed Jimmy. It could have been me instead or neither of us. Standing over Jimmy's grave today, I realized that. And it was almost more than I could stand. She's alive. She wrote this. She thinks I'm the one that's dead. Taking a pen, Jimmy began writing desperately under Jane's entry in the diary. Jane, where are you? I'm not dead. I thought you were... In heaven's name, where are you? After that, Jimmy's mind went blank. When he came to his senses again, he was sitting in an empty desk. No diary on it, and no pen between his fingers. Where is it? 
That diary, where is it? Oh, I must have dreamed it. Fallen asleep in the chair and dreamed it. No. No, it was here. I can swear it was here. I wrote an entry underneath Jane's. Or did I? Am I imagining things? I've got to find out. There must be some way to get to the bottom of this. The next morning, Jimmy bought a small camera with a flashbulb attachment. That night, when he came home from the office, he had the camera ready. He unlocked the door and opened it. Then before he walked in, he put out his hand and struck wood. The door was still closed. He stepped back, quickly aimed the camera at the door and snapped the shutter. The glare of the flashbulb blinded him for a moment. But when he was able to see again, the door was open. That you, Mr. Patterson? Yes, it's me. I thought I heard something. I, uh, I was just taking a picture. A picture? Look, Mrs. Mooney, are you finished with your work? I thought I'd just get the laundry together and take it out with me. Let that go until tomorrow. Good night, Mrs. Mooney. Jimmy waited impatiently until the cleaning woman was gone. Then he moved the film in the camera and put in a new flashbulb. Walking to the desk, he hardly dared to hope the diary would be there again, but there it was. Open, with a ruler across the pages to keep it so. He saw yesterday's entry and his own message. And beyond that was more writing in Jane's hand. Jimmy, darling... When I opened the diary today, I found a message from you, as though you were alive. I know that can't be. It's all imaginary wish fulfillment, and I'm crazy to answer you, but please, darling, if I am sane and you are alive somewhere, tell me where you are. With all his being, Jimmy wanted to write his reply, but he was afraid to spend the additional time. He aimed the camera at the diary and pressed the shutter button for the second time. The diary. It disappeared again. Where did it go to? Where did it come from in the first place? What's happening here? Wherever that diary is, that's where Jane is. I've got to find her. <laughs> That's the story Jimmy told me. I'm a lawyer, trained to take testimony. I mention the fact because I want it understood that I have not colored the story in any way. I've told it exactly as Jimmy told it to me, flatly and baldly, without any attempt to make it sound reasonable. As Jimmy said... Well, that's it, Hal. That's exactly how it all happened. But look here, it's impossible. I don't blame you for feeling that way about it. I'd say the same thing. If I didn't have evidence to the contrary. Evidence? You mean those uh, photographs? That's right. Let me have a look at them. Sure. And there's the first one, the shot of the door. Looks like a double exposure, doesn't it? Hmm. We got two doors here, nearly at right angles, both hung from the same door frame. Here's the second shot. If you look close, you may be able to read Jane's handwriting on the page of the diary. Yeah. Jimmy, darling, when I opened the diary today... I found a message from you, as though you were alive. Well, Hal, do you still say it's impossible? Yes, 
But Harry... Jim, I'm your friend. You believe that, don't you? Sure, I do, but you... Now, there's a perfectly logical explanation for these incidents. Not a pleasant explanation, but the only one that makes any sense. Now, that door opening and closing, Jane's cigarettes in the ashtray, you saw all that because you wanted to see it. You made it up, not consciously, but out of your desperation. Now, you had to believe that somehow, somewhere, Jane is still alive. I do believe that, Hal. But, man, can't you see? You're kidding yourself. If so, how do you explain the photograph of that door? Trick photography. You covered half the film and exposed with the door closed. Then you exposed the other half of the film with the door open. Maybe an expert photographer could do that, but I never even owned a camera until yesterday. Look, you followed directions when you took those shots, didn't you? Yes. Well, then you must have been following directions when you took that trick shot of the door. Okay, okay. But how do you explain the second photograph? The one with Jane's handwriting. Now, you were Jane's lawyer. You'd recognize her handwriting, wouldn't you? I suppose so. Look at that photograph. Isn't that Jane's handwriting? Well, looks like hers, but it could be a forgery. Forgery? But who would want to forge? You would, Jim. I w- That's right. Now, I had a client once, a girl. She accused a man of beating her up. She was absolutely sincere. She really believed it. But her own family admitted that she'd make the marks on herself. And the doctors agreed that she'd unconsciously blotted the memory of doing it out of her mind afterwards. You think I forged all this unconsciously? But what other possibility is there? Remember the accident, Hal. Now, we came up behind that truck. When we skidded into it, the girder could have hit me or Jane or neither of us. What does that prove? It was pure chance that Jane was hit. It could have been me. If it had been me, Jane would be living in the apartment. She might very well have written that entry in the diary. Isn't that so? What's the point? The point is this. There are a lot of possible futures. When today was in the future, there were a lot of possible todays. The present moment is only one of any number of presents that might have been. Now, that night before the gritter came to our windshield, there were three possibilities. One in which I was hit, one in which neither one of us was hit, and one in which... Well, you do see what I'm getting at, Hal. Are you really suggesting there's more than one present? That in some other present, Jane is alive and you're the one that's dead? That's it, Hal. Some other dimension in time or space to which Jane and I had managed to communicate. But, but how? Well, it's beyond me, but there must be some scientific explanation. Oh, Jim, you aren't serious. Why not? Before the atomic bomb exploded, all reasonable people said atomic energy was preposterous. Every new discovery, every new step forward is preposterous. Until it happens. I couldn't shake Jimmy's argument. After he left, I tried to decide on some course of action. Treat him as insane? But he was my friend. Besides, his delusion wasn't dangerous, not even to himself. I decided to wait for developments. One evening, about a, a week later, Jimmy and I had dinner together. He seemed to be in good spirits. He looked over the menu. What are you going to order, Hal? A steak. Me too. Well, what's new, Counselor? Well, I was about to ask you that. Have you, um... Have you had any more communication with Jane? Oh, sure, we write each other notes every night. And by the way, I was right, Hal. Jane agrees there is more than one present. Now, in the present I exist in, Jane was killed. 
but in her present, I'm the one that's dead. Oh, look, let's not get into that again. Well, I don't mind uh, talking about it. Now that I know Jane's alive, life is bearable. Matter of fact, there's only one drawback. Only one drawback, huh? What's that? Well, now that Jane and I have found each other, we'd like to get together. Someday we hope to be able to bridge that gap. Isn't that rather far-fetched? Oh, no. Now, sometimes when Jane and I are writing notes to each other, both of us can can feel the barrier between us wearing thin. Once it seemed to me that we actually touched hands. But I wasn't sure. Jim. Oh, Jim. What's the matter? Oh, nothing. Go on with what you were saying. I let him go on, describing what he wrote to Jane and what she wrote to him, and how they both yearned for the time when the barrier between them would disappear and they'd be together again. That continued for several weeks. Then one night, as we were sitting in the park... Al, remember what I told you about the barrier wearing thin? Sure, yeah. Well, Jane and I were pretty close now. I'm almost certain I saw her in the living room last night. Jimmy, She disappeared listen. before I could get to her. If I could only put my hands on her, if I could touch her just once. Jim, you've got to stop this. What? Do something about these hallucinations. Hold on, Hal. Don't you see they're progressive? It started with seeing notes and cigarette butts, and now you're seeing people. You're trying to tell me I'm losing my mind? No, but I think you ought to have a talk with a psychiatrist. With the proper treatment, those hallucinations would disappear. But if you don't get help, this I thing... don't need any help. There's nothing wrong with me. My contacts with Jane are not hallucinations, and I can prove it. How? Look, Hal, didn't you have a near accident on the parkway last night? Didn't a car coming around a curve on the wrong side of the road almost smash head-on into you? Wait. Yes, it did. I almost went into the ditch trying to get away from it. How did you know that? Jane told me. Jane? She said that in her time channel, a crash killed Tony Shields. You mean Tony Shields was the driver of that other car? That's what Jane says. But it's impossible. There, Jane doesn't lie, Al. Why don't you check with Tony? Hello? That you, Tony? Yes. This is Hal Haynes. Look, Tony, there's a little thing that's been bothering me. I'd like to ask you about it. Were you driving your car on the parkway last night? Yeah, I was. You sure it was last night? Well, sure, I'm sure. Why, what's up, Hal? Well, did you almost run into another car coming around that curve near Hawthorne? Oh, that's right. Oh, say, Hal, how'd you know that? Hal, are you still on the line? Did you hear me? Yeah. Yeah, I heard you. I was the driver of the other car, Tony. Well, I'll be hanged. Talk about a small world. Say, Hal, I owe you an apology. I was on the wrong side of the road. Must have scared you half to death. Yeah. Yeah, you certainly did. I'm sorry, Hal, but uh, there's one thing I don't get. It was pretty dark last night. How'd you recognize me? Well, I uh, wasn't quite sure. That's why I phoned. I hung up, feeling dizzy. Jane had told the truth. But Jane was dead. But if she was dead, 
how could she know about Tony Shields and what happened on the parkway? It made no sense, no sense at all, unless Jane actually existed in some other level or dimension. But that was nonsense. Sheer nonsense. Still, I had to talk to Jimmy. I dialed his number. The phone rang a number of times. I was about to give up when... Hello? Jim, this is Hal. I got to talk to you. Not now. I'm very busy. But this is important. I just spoke to Tony. Please, Hal, hang up. All right. I'm coming over to your place. No, you can't do that. I don't want you here now. Hal, Jane and I are very close. The barrier's getting thin. Paper thin. We've touched each other again. When did this happen? Just now, before you phone. We're hoping... Hoping and praying that the time barrier is about to break. But it can't. What would happen if you turned up where she is or if she turned up here? I don't know, but we'd be together and that's all we care about. Oh, but Jim, listen Shut to me. She's, she's here. What? She's come through the barrier. Here in this room. I see her. Jane, is it really you? Who else would it be? Hello, darling. Jane. Jimmy. Jimmy! He'd hung up on me. I dialed his number again. The phone rang and rang. No answer. I gave up and tried to figure it out. That woman's voice I heard over the phone, and I actually heard it. Was it Jane? Or was I becoming affected myself? I had to know. I went to Jimmy's apartment. I rang the bell. It kept ringing and ringing. No one answered. I tried to open the front door. It was locked. The back door was locked, too. The windows were shuttered. There was no way to get in. I tried to phone Jimmy the next morning. No answer. I called his office at noon. He hadn't been there. Finally, I went to the police and talked to Detective Thatcher. Thatcher and a couple of patrolmen went to the apartment. They forced the front door, got into the place, searched it, and found nothing. I was in the living room, smoking a hopeless cigarette, when Thatcher came to me. All right, Mr. Haynes, let's have it. Uh, have what? Now, this is a joke, ain't it? Certainly not. Now, look, mister, you tell us you're worried about your friend. We come here and find every door and window locked from the inside. Nobody here, nothing. Well, what's a gag? How did he get out of the apartment and still leave all the door and windows locked from the inside? He didn't disappear into thin air, did he? What could I say? That Jimmy had escaped into the other now. That he was alive on some other level or dimension of existence as yet unknown to us. Thatcher would have taken me straight down to the psychiatric ward. I said nothing. The police dragged ponds and rivers for Jimmy's body. Put out missing person bulletins and so forth. Eventually, it was recorded that Jimmy left town... And everybody accepted that obvious explanation. I'm the only one who knows what actually happened to Jimmy Patterson. Jimmy Patterson.
So I'm setting this down for the record. To be placed in my safe deposit vault and open only after my death. You can't blame me. Would you care to spend the rest of your life in a, a straitjacket? That's it. The Other Now by Murray Leinster. Heard in tonight's play were Lawson Zerby as Haynes, Dick York as Jimmy. Raymond Edward Johnson was your host. Music composed and conducted by Bobby Christian. Script adaptation by Michael Sklar. The Old Time Radio Hour will be back next Sunday at 4 o'clock. We hope you can join us here on Sid Valley Radio.